0: is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 211 of the Rebel Author Podcast. I am really genuinely... (laughs) Terrified and excited to share this episode with you because today I am joined by Joanna Penn and we are going to be talking all about writing The Shadow. And things get personal. (laughs) There may have been some emotional reactions to the content in this episode, uh so enjoy that first to last week's question which was what part of the of story do you find hardest to write and why jj Arya said the midpoint shift in an enemies to lovers when they have to stop fighting so they can start um figuring it out (laughs) very polite uh okay this week's question is what are you going to complete in the last quarter of this year this week's book recommendation is Written in the Stars by Alexandria Bellefleur. This is a sapphic contemporary romance. It's very sweet, it was fun and lovely, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, so I am recommending that. Okay, so in personal news and updates, I don't even know where to begin. I had coaching this week, and my coach basically poured petrol on all of my plans and then flicked a lip match at them and just blew shit up. So, oh God, I don't even, do you know what? I'm not even sure I'm ready to talk about what's going on. I think I'm going to wait until next week. Um, suffice to say that I am now working on the Vegas presentation. Um, and uh, the other talks that I need to do because it is uh, less than a month till I go. Oh my God, it was a month yesterday until I get on the plane. Um, so that's super exciting. I am still intending to do all of the things that I've said I'm going to do this year, uh, but I think I'm going to do them in a different order. So I that is as much as I am going to say this week until I can wrap my head around <laughs> what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, and maybe when I'm more... Uh, com- uh, con- bread, con- <laughs> what is that word <laughs> never mind maybe when i can actually speak i'll be able to update you okay so uh the rebel of the week this week is moose what a cool name so moose says this rebel story isn't about me instead it's a legend from my childhood that i as an adult rediscovered a story that brings joy and wicked witch laughter to my soul i'm already loving this story Like every other Kansas family, we took trips to Colorado. As an adult, I travel there for the natural wonders and the legal weed. But that's besides the point. Again, this is not my story. At seven years old, I remember watching the Kansas farmland roll uh, roll by from the back seat of a car. Beautiful if you enjoy literal tumbleweeds. And then I saw something magical. Huge, rusty sculptures lined the highway. They gyrated and twirled in the wind. Ugly faces with little eyes, big noses, and huge, pointy breasts. I mean, we're talking polar... <laughs> Okay, this took an unexpected turn. We're talking pornographic, little curious me was enthralled, I bet. Cruel, hideous sculptures of famous people, political figures, and as I found out in late in life, uh, the artist's neighbors. <laughs> I wonder if they'd piss her off. Over 500, each one raunchy and politically incorrect. One was spared. If you pissed the man off, you were sure he'd make an artwork of you. Like the mayor of the nearby uh, small town who earned a sculpture of himself with the woman everyone knew. (gasps) I love these stories so much. With the woman everyone knew he was sleeping with. (laughs) Not his wife, of course. The artist's name was M.T. Liggett. He welded his monstrous trashy totems from car parks and raised signs. He propped his art up for all to see along the highway. The church, the town church and cemetery, it was his legacy. Liggett was sued multiple times for his art. His sculptures were frequently damaged and destroyed. Oh, that's not fun. The church in town threatened to have his art removed and swore it would be once Liggett died. People tried to kill him. What? Burned a building with him inside it. What the fuck? He survived and made some angry art about that too. He died in 2017. Did the church, the townspeople with their pitchforks, the local government succeed? Did M.T. Liggett's art end up in a Kansas landfill? Not even close. M.T. Liggett's art installations and land are now... (laughs) a preserved art environment. Over a million dollars has gone into the care and restoration of his legacy, as well as a new museum and visitor center. To quote Liggett himself, most people, they ain't, ain't got no guts. You gotta have a strong opinion or you're nothing. Rebel words to live by. Oh my goodness. I absolutely loved that story. What a legend. I love that it's like a local legend to you as well. That was a fantastic story. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small or something in between. And in case you haven't heard, we did find some stories in our junk, but the junk deletes every 30 days. So if yours hasn't been read out, please do resend it because we really do read every single story. Uh, You can email your story to Becca over on this email address, rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to Mandy Oman, and of course, a gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like our movie nights, our Patreon masterclasses, the next one's Dark Academia, uh, it's a masterclass in how to write Dark Academia, also our Slack community, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that is it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm giddy because we have my favourite indie back on the show, Joanna Penn. Joanna writes nonfiction for authors and is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling thriller author as J.F. Penn. She's also an award-winning podcaster, creative entrepreneur and international professional speaker. Hello and welcome back.
1: Oh, thanks, Sasha. And uh, I always like my bio read in your lovely voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I had more time to do more more audio. I do really love like the performance side of it. But this isn't about me. This is about you. And I can't believe that um, it's been donkeys since you were on this show. You were on episode 74, which was back in February 2021. So... Mm.
1: Like, would you like to tell everyone what you've been up to since the last show? Well, that was like right in the pandemic as well, which means it's completely different times. But I do actually feel that I was a different person then. Like, I feel like things have really changed and possibly a lot of other people feel that way too. But I feel like in the last few years... Um, so I've really got into much more writing the memoir style. And I feel like I was questioning memoir back then. Um, and so I wrote my pilgrimage book, which was about solo walking three ancient ways, which is kind of, you know, travel book and a solo book and also a, a memoir, a midlife memoir, religious memoir. Um, so I've also written how to write a novel, which was a very difficult book. You know, you've done many more craft books than I have. And I found that difficult but also really necessary to write. I've written some novels and some novellas and some short stories, but I've also business-wise, since this is also a business podcast, I did my first Kickstarter, which was Pilgrimage, and I've built two Shopify stores, uh, one for my non-fiction brand creativepenbooks.com and another for my fiction brand jfpenbooks.com. And of course, generative AI has really exploded. So I feel like in the last few years, I've changed both what I write, um, my own creative process my ability i guess to tap into deeper topics and also my business model so it's been a big few years <laughs> i mean that is an astonishing amount for 2 years
0: <laughs> but also well,
1: yeah well let me say to people too because i think this is this is so important as indies you know, I started, you know, I started self-publishing back in 2008 and things have changed a lot in 15 years. But also I was quite bored. I reckon when I spoke to you in 2021, I was quite bored with the way the industry was. I was like, is it just write another book until I die? <laughs> and in one way that's amazing, but on the other hand I was like, ah, oh, you know, a lot is jaded about me and the industry, but what's happened is it's almost a reinvention of myself. And I almost feel like I'm starting again. Like this year is a sort of beginning of my next 15 years, the end of the first 15 years and the beginning of the next. So I wanted to encourage you and also listeners that we can keep reinventing ourselves, uh, what we write, how we do business, all of this stuff. So, and I know, um, you know, we often talk about business and you're a few years behind me in terms of the full-time career, but we can keep reinventing. So I hope that's encouraging to people.
0: Well, it's certainly encouraging to me. I actually think that some form of reinvention or pivot is vital and necessary Mm. because if we're not, then we're staying static. And that essentially is a a mini form of death because without growth, without change, we, we stay the same. And unfortunately the world around us does not stay the same. And so essentially we're taking steps backward, which is big and scary, but also exciting and full of opportunity. Mm. So um, yeah, I love that. And it's funny because I, in all the years I've been publishing, I think the last two have seen the most significant change for me so i don't know if there's something in the air <laughs> maybe maybe there is <laughs> yeah okay so we are here to talk about your new kickstarter and your new book so and your new book focuses on the shadow so would you like to start by actually giving a definition what do you mean by um the shadow what is it what are what are the elements of it why uh, is it important for indies to pay attention
1: So, the book is called Writing the Shadow Turn Your Inner Darkness into Words. So, it is a craft book, but also, I guess, a a psychology book. In fact, I heard you talk about bullshit psychological stuff. So, this kind of fits into this. (laughs) You mentioned this on your last show. I was like, aha, I'm going to mention that to Sasha. (laughs) But hopefully, it's got enough useful stuff in um, that this will be good for people. But in terms of shadow, so essentially, I've studied psychology for a long time. um, And Carl Jung, who was a Swiss psychologist, dead now, but uh, sort of founder of analytical psychology, uses this term. And this comes from his uh, psychological um, aspects. So it's essentially that unconscious side of us. And there's lots in there. <laughs> uh, the, the unconscious side of the human personality, the, the parts of us that don't really match up to either what society tell us we should be or what family tell us or school or even what we think sometimes so we think we should be this and then you know we don't turn out that way and we think that there's something wrong with us in some way so oh, w- this is a protective mechanism so we suppress things we um in fact there's a very good metaphor robert bly is another psychologist uses the metaphor of an invisible bag so we have this bag and every time someone says oh you shouldn't do that you shouldn't write that you shouldn't be like that you shouldn't I heard you talk about your your hair. (laughs) Mm. You know, you shouldn't have short hair or you shouldn't have have a tattoo or whatever. And we put these attitudes, you shouldn't write that kind of thing, that smutty stuff, Uh, you know, put that in the bag because people, and you say, okay, I mustn't do that, mustn't do that. And then at some point in your life, these things start to come back out and you have to deal with them or you can keep them in the bag. But We obviously, we talk there about things that are scary, but also full of opportunity and that growth and change are important. So this, I guess, is about encouraging authors to you don't have to get rid of the shadow. We're not like trying to get rid of everything in the bag. We're trying to recognize the things that are holding us back. And often they are things that are holding us back and then incorporating them into both our creative life, into our personal life, and also into our business. Because there's so much of this as you get into it. Obviously, the book goes into all kinds of things. Um, but if we can bring some of these things out of the shadow, and it is hard because the whole point is you can't look at it directly. You can't say, oh, that, you know, you have to kind of recognize it from the side and then say, okay, this is a problem. What can I do about it um, and then find some way of dealing with it in a a healthy manner and uh, embracing the changes that it brings into your life.
0: So so I suppose my question to you then, does that mean my hair was in my shadow, like, what are some examples, maybe, um, or or known examples of elements that have been in the shadow, like, I think, for me, definitely writing queer was in the shadow, Mm. because I didn't even realise that that was a thing that I could do, um, or or maybe I didn't think that was okay to do that, I'm not sure, obviously, I've ignored that now, (laughs) but yeah, (laughs) like, do you have some, like, examples of of things that have been in the shadow that that we would be able to sort of understand deeper uh, the concept.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the queer angle is a really more on obvious one because one of the biggest, well, a big story, I think, in the community, of which I am not part of the community, but from the outside, the coming out story of when people are able to tell people in their family um, about who they are is bringing something out of the shadow and into the light. And that is, can be very traumatic for people. Some people lose family, they lose their faith, they lose friends. And so I think in, in that, in the queer sense, it might be more easy to recognize what you've been told is somehow wrong about you. And in that way, bringing it out. I mean, maybe people in the queer community are really good at this, (laughs) um maybe it's people i mean i i use the example and i think you have this too is um this idea of being lazy mm. um so i i guess have always been uh sort of praised for working hard our society praises people for working hard and we value our work and so one of the ways of recognizing what you react to what's in the shadow is is the word trigger so what triggers you um and for me being called lazy is very triggering if someone says you're lazy I'm like no I'm not and I will defend that um but the darker side of that the shadow side of that is that I can't rest properly and I know you can't either <laughs> can not even be so accurate. (laughs) Yeah, we just go and go and go. Um, And so part of recognizing, and another way is when you judge people. So uh, I'm terrible. Like I can be walking outside and see someone just lying in a park, you know, reading a book. And I might feel like they're lazy and I will judge them in that way. And that's another way of recognizing it in myself or um another judgment that happens and i think this is quite common for women is i might be just walking down the street and i see someone and i compare my body with their body and usually i come off worse <laughs> and it's like okay so where where does that come from so you so i guess recognize first of all saying these things out loud it, there can be fear you know i i i find these interviews really hard especially this this topic is a tough one right but the fear um of judgment the shame uh, embarrassment all of these things um when it is scary all of these things indicate that we have something in shadow and again there's nothing wrong With what's in shadow, it's that we have uh, internalized certain things that now it would be great if we could bring some of them out and deal with it uh, in a healthier way so that we can move on with our life. And in terms of our writing, uh, I use the example of Colleen Hoover uh, in the book because she is so good at this in that she puts it all out there in her books, um, Stephen King as well, you know, in terms of bringing out these vul- human vulnerabilities and in terms of the the power of our creativity, it's really bringing out these things so that other people recognize their humanity in our work. And in that way, we write better, we can live better, we can understand ourselves. And as we said, you know, the growth and human change, but, um, you know, throwing it back at you. <laughs> you've you've read the book were were there things that you recognize in in yourself
0: definitely um
1: I don't know if it's the word lazy
0: because I know I'm not lazy but there's definitely something in there about um where like I'm only valuable if I'm delivering Hmm. um so there's definitely something there and then um I think There was a lot around, oh, my head's just gone black, but there was a lot around like shame, like it definitely sparked thoughts of, oh, like where, where I see shame or when I feel shame. Um, And in terms of other things, I just think that creativity in general even though it wasn't discouraged, it wasn't encouraged. You know, I was encouraged yes. to get a proper air quotes job. And I definitely think that I still struggle with like setting boundaries because uh, because I have been told, you know, you work at home, you don't have a proper job, you know, but, so then sort of letting boundaries get encroached and, on work time and things like that. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think this, I think that's right and a good example, but yeah, I mean, there are lots and lots of things. I I think, um, yeah, oh, I mean, there's so mm-hmm. much-
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, just coming back on that, because yeah, the creativity, I mean, obviously this is a writing show. This is a book for writers, although it can be, Read in a, in a wider sense, but a lot of this stuff for us is around creativity, writing, and publishing, <laughs> and also to some extent business, money. We've talked a lot about money over the years, um, but f- you know, for me originally it was being told at school. I was like eleven or twelve, and uh, I wrote a nightmare into a sort of an essay, and uh, my teacher said, "You you can't write things like that. You shouldn't write things like that," and. It's, you know the things that people tell us when we're children and young people and also as adults but where we're vulnerable so for us who are writers who love books, who are creative, who mythologize the books and the author career these are these are mythic in our mm-hmm. minds so we we and they matter so much and our books matter so much this is where we're vulnerable this is the soft space so a comment by a teacher. 30 years ago should not have derailed my creativity but i spent maybe 20 plus years not being creative not thinking i was creative and was you know was able to to change that slowly and i i feel like maybe even well definitely this book has really helped me with a whole load of other stuff writing this book has helped me recognize some of the other things um but if people listening think about what people have told you the impact you, like the little, little child, Sasha, Mm. who is only valuable if she's delivering, like, where does that come from? And in fact, you mentioned the word shame. I was listening to your last show. You did actually say part of your imposter syndrome around the keynote at Mm. Vegas, 20 books, Vegas (laughs) is, um, you said a shame about not hitting your goal. So you, and I imagine that's an income goal or some kind of career goal. And so you feel like you don't have anything to share and you know, intellectually that you do and everyone's telling you, you do, but the emotional side of feeling that way is something that someone has wounded you with in some way. And it might've just been a comment, like this doesn't have to be abuse or trauma or any of that kind of thing. It can be this idea of the creative wound or the sort of Yeah. When somebody says something or you internalize other people's behavior, like you and I also have some screw ups around family. I mean, who doesn't? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, my dad was also the creative one. In, you know, was my dad was an artist and what well, is an artist. Um, and so uh, because I had issues around rejection and, and all of that kind of thing, I think I pushed all of that out and went into the business world thinking I could never be like that. And, and I didn't want to be like that because I was rejecting all of that. So we can do this to ourselves as well. It's kind of complicated. But coming back to that shame on not hitting a goal, is there anything where you can identify any of these things from from the past, or either things you've told yourself, or other people have told you about, you're not good enough somehow.
0: Um. Well, first of all, I think we should talk about triggering because the. I'm so glad we're not on camera because the reaction that I just had <laughs> to you talking was quite significant. Oh, um tell us. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Um, well, okay. I mean, it was a, it was a visceral reaction and I couldn't, I mean, I had to wipe my face. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So like it was, we, we need to talk about triggering, but, but what mm. I was going to say is that, um, I definitely think competition and being competitive was put into my shadow. Um, because when I had my strengths test, everybody drink, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't I just, I just could not comprehend that my number one strength was competition. Um, And it had been so kind of repressed. And this is about that hitting the goal and are you good enough? Despite uh, the fact that that's the way I am, that wasn't acceptable, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, that definitely is connected to, I think the imposter syndrome and um, yeah, I mean, Everybody in my family is competitive. Like my dad is number one competition. My mum has competition pretty high. Um, my my siblings, I will eat my hat if they if they don't have competition out there. So there's always been, I suppose, a bit of an ethos that if you're not number one then, you know, like there is no, there is no number two that doesn't exist in our family. So mm. I, I just think it's like more of a cultural expectation in the family that you, you win or that you do your best. And I don't think necessarily, I think it's an internalized um uh an internalized thought rather than any one person kind of imposing that um mm. although i think also there are pretty high expectations in in my family if i'm honest like <laughs> there are pretty high expectations coming from a number of people in my family about how many hours i work like well what do you mean you've taken the weekend off or you know things like that so i do think that it's just a culture that has fed the competitive nature in me and not necessarily the most positive of ways um mm. but in terms of identifying one thing I don't know I think I would have to intellect on it um
1: however mm. triggering is what I want to yes, ask. I was going to say I'm now more interested yes. in in the triggering now obviously and I should say at this point uh this book is not a therapy book it is not meant to heal your pain, it is meant to help you find it (laughs) and and write about it. I am not um, a counsellor, but what I suggest is if this process is difficult and if things do come out from anywhere, um, then please look after yourself. So if you do read this book, if you do, if there will be a workbook and all of that kind of thing, then be gentle with yourself. Like I said, think of the little child, think of Atlas, if he was had a nightmare in the night, be kind to yourself. And if you need help, um, there is a chapter about death and includes suicide and all of those kind of things, then um, please seek uh, professional help. I am not that professional help. But now let's come back to you having to wipe your face, which I, I, I'm i not even going to um, hazard a guess. I mean, I think I, I know potentially what it could be, but how did it feel to be triggered so people can recognize what that means? Well, so, I mean,
0: that was going to be my question to you, because when I read the book, I was kind of reading it and sort of nodding along, but I didn't necessarily... Like I didn't necessarily get triggered by the words, but when you said the words, <laughs> that was triggering, so I mean it was like a very sudden, unexpected uh overwhelming um pressure, like emotional pressure i I think that's the only way I can describe it. It was very unexpected it was <laughs> I hate feeling feelings. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah was it was, was it physical was it physical yeah. you said you felt a visceral was that in your stomach or your your was um, it crying? It, crying well I mean there may have been some sweaty eyeballs but it was definitely <laughs> it was like in my
0: chest I almost couldn't breathe I like I was so glad that you kept talking because I wasn't sure if I could have said anything
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay so so you, what you have there is a kind of emotional reaction to whatever I was saying and uh that gave you some kind of physical response and what i think what's interesting i mean the word trigger has become very politicized but i want people to try and take a step back from that um and also not we're not let's not go into the massive societal triggering things so i mean there it's, it's more of the little things and the nuance around things um so i mean i was uh, I, it's difficult not to kind of repeat things, but talking about my dad, my father, um, having parent issues with your parents is quite common. So people listening, what comes up around rejection by your father is is going to be different for everyone. And some people just will completely ignore that. It will just pass them by. And how you know that something has really triggered you is if you have an intense re- response to something that someone else is just not bothered about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so, you know, so like the word lazy. I mean, again, the, in fact, the more I talk about it, the less I feel it, which is really good. Um, uh, oh, another example I say is someone um, who called me boring and tepid. And <laughs> I think you would hate this, too. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's like, I'm sorry, I am not boring. I am not tepid. And if people don't know, tepid for British people is the kind of the tea, the temperature of the tea that nobody wants to drink. <laughs> like it's not. Iced tea and it's not hot tea. It's kind of just weak. And I'm like, I hate being called this. So, what and what is the problem? How am I reacting to that in a way that is difficult? And so, when we feel a reaction, that is where we need to pay attention. And so, it could be charge, that could be a positive charge or a negative charge. Um, And it's how we react to words because we're word people, words Mm. have huge power over us. So, if None of the things we're talking about, if they don't affect you, like I've put some words, there's lots of words in the book, obviously. But it's more about when things come up, like social media, obviously, is classic. It's like, what what do you react to that other people don't even care about? So it's interesting. You talk about competition. You talk about this a lot because it's very important to you. I hear you say the word competition and it means nothing to me. Mm. Like I have no charge over competition. Um, Just doesn't do anything for me at all. But, um, you know, we've talked again about money before we all have a lot of triggers around money. So (laughs) that's something that not the word money, but the word poor, for example, um, I, I say in the book when I was a kid and my mum was on benefits while she was studying, and I went to school uh, wearing um you know a hand-me-down dress from the charity shop and there's nothing wrong with this. this is not a good or bad scenario or a judgment call on on people's lives. I wore this dress, and some a girl at school said... That's my dress, and I was like, "No, it's not. No, it's not your dress. It's my dress." And she—I don't know how, how it happened—but she looked in the back, and there was a tag with her name on it. Mm. And I mean, I—I I can still feel this vis- viscerally, which was the shame, it, and I still feel the shame of being poor and wearing someone else's dress mm. had a huge impact on me, and sort of made a decision that I would not be poor. Now that, even though I said competition does nothing for me, you can see how the driver to go away from that. But then that that brings its own problems. So kind of later on, I did make money, but then I would just spend it trying to look rich because I wanted to show the world that I wasn't poor. So I spent too much money on things. I didn't need because I could look more wealthy. And then there's this backwards and forwards thing that can happen with things that are in shadow. And what you have to find is this middle ground, this middle way. Um, So maybe we can talk about the the chariot, the Plato's chariot and the the two horses, but it's looking for the nuance don't go for the hardcore one in either direction. It's kind of looking for that nuance. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, well, so some of the things that you said that have been really interesting have led
0: me to almost like the word about owning it, mm. like owning your own shadow. Uh, mm. So I suppose, can you can you talk about that? And can you talk about like tapping into your own shadow and what you can find there and and you use the word gold in the book. So yeah, I don't know if you wanna maybe elaborate mm. on that.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess in terms of trying to tap into your shadow, I guess one of the ways we talked about is these trigger words. But um, analysing your own writing, I think, is really a good way to figure out what the hell's going on. But only when it's the initial books. So the first few books we write, I feel some people call it clearing your throat. (laughs) But I think there's also a lot of ourselves in those early books that haven't been edited into (laughs) submission. As such. So if you can have a look at some of your early books, if you've got some distance from them, that can be a way to um, identify uh, aspects of shadow. Um, so for example, in if you write fiction, look at your characters, what are they afraid of? What are their character flaws? What are their wounds? What's in their backstory? Um, and uh, also, I guess, which characters do you identify with and, and what what are the um, unacceptable qualities of your villains? And you've obviously written about villains and heroes, um, but also the importance of trying to have rounded characters means we are thinking a lot about this. But the other, the other thing I wanted to bring up with you is oh, looking no. for elements of shadow in the opposite side of personality tests because you were the one who introduced me to the Clifton Strengths. <laughs> so um I thought this was interesting because so often we talk about the positive side of strengths, but in the um description of the strengths, there are these blind spots.
0: Yes. So
1: I was gonna I actually was thinking about you about this because we share learner, right? We yeah. in the top five. Yeah. Um and I was thinking about this. So one of the issues with the blind spots for learner is judging people who don't value learning. No. <laughs> Okay, yes, I do that. I do do that. (laughs) Exactly. But but again, this is really interesting because I felt when I read that, I was like, oh, that actually also taps into lazy because, and it's, I've heard you talk about relaxing as reading like a book a day. So that's part of being a learner. It's like, well, I've got a spare moment. I think I should be reading something and learning something. And we love that. That's what we love. But what it means is we can sometimes judge other people who don't value... Learning in the way that we do, and so that judgment side of things is another way to identify stuff. Also, for example, I'm a I'm an introvert. um, I'm an INFJ in the Myers Briggs, and uh, obviously the J is judging. But introverts can be overly sensitive and respond to criticism too harshly. So that's I think something a lot of writers can. i'm up with so what what are some of the elements that given that you know the clifton strengths so well what are some of the uh blind spots or potential dark sides of your strengths
0: um so activator is a <laughs>
1: perpetual problem for me
0: because it has time blindness so oh, for example okay. I um I can get to the end of uh drafting or m- more likely editing because I don't enjoy editing and I'm like oh it's taken me three weeks to edit this book and actually it's been like five working days <laughs> and genuinely I, I like I can't reiterate this enough i i really from the bottom of my heart will believe it's been three weeks like that will be a reality in my mind it's been three weeks that's far too long you know uh this kind of nonsense or i i will i, I just have no capacity for estimating how long things will take, how long it's been since something, which is why check-ins are so important and tracking data, like in tracking my productivity is so important because <laughs> I can prove to myself wrong, basically, when I, I think that I I have been lazy or, you know, I haven't p- performed, oh, there we go, I haven't performed uh, to an adequate standard when actually I'll go back and be like, uh, we wrote a book and like you know, three weeks. So I, yeah, because it just, time is a lie to me. I just can't comprehend time. Um, Mm.
1: Some of the other things, sorry, go ahead. Well, so this is interesting because one could say, okay, whatever, is that such a big deal? Um, So what I would encourage you and other people to do is consider how, you know, has that hurt you or people you love in some way? So, uh, someone in my life who's important was always late um, for things. And so I am chronically early to everything. And I really hate it when people are late. I absolutely, it's like the worst thing for me. So to me, someone with time blindness, it may have been this person, had that, but it hurt me all the time. I was really hurt by it. And therefore my own behavior changed because of who they were. And so when we're thinking, and I haven't thought about it until you said it. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, that really explains why I'm early. Now, is being early to things ever gonna hurt me? No, (laughs) so I I will continue to do that. But I think when we're considering what potentially some of them issues and blind spots are, is look, okay, is this a problem that hurts me or hurts other people? Do I need to deal with it? And if you do, then that's something that you may bring out of shadow. But um, so that's a question back at you with this time blindness. This may be a part of your character, but is this this something that has hurt you or people you love and something you need to fix or just something that's fine? No, it it
0: definitely hurts me. Uh, I would say it really impacts my... like mindset because mm-hmm. I can get very low if I think that time is just slipping through my fingers and I'm not finishing or producing or completing or yeah. So like it, and then I have this emotional waste, like a bit wasting energy on emotional frustration that just doesn't need to be there, which is mm-hmm. why. Um, and, and that then in turn slows me down. <laughs> so it's like, it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. I definitely think there's, uh, maybe some lack of presentness, uh because I think time is slipping and therefore I will prioritize work over important people. Mm. <laughs> that I shouldn't do. So yeah, I definitely think it does. And that is why I do track so militantly now so that I can go and check and be like, oh no, okay, we're doing fine, we're doing fine, we're on we're on track, you know, and then I can step away and be present for the people I need to be present for. And maybe not beat myself up so much.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, And and I wanted to come back to your imposter syndrome around this keynote as well, because I was thinking about this when I was listening to you. And I I understand, again, I was wondering, and it only came to me when I was listening to you in the intro to the last show, uh, or whichever one that it was, (laughs) um, is that learner, you and I are very comfortable teaching Yes. Because we know so much because mm-hmm. we will do so much research and supportive material for our teaching sessions and people will go away. They will not be able to write notes fast enough. You know, they will need the PowerPoint slides to get down everything we said because we want to help you with everything. So we're very comfortable as learners with that. So we are leaning heavily on that side of us. And I guess the intellection side, um, the input side, uh, but potentially that is a problem when it comes to doing something like a keynote, because we can't lean on that. We actually have to remove, almost remove that. And that can be a blind spot, I think, for a, a learner strength is you need to not rely on your learner strength. So I don't know, how does that resonate?
0: I mean, I'm shifting uncomfortably in my chair. I mean, the, the the funny thing is I'm not nervous at all about delivering the two uh, classes that I have to deliver mm. because I know I know what I'm talking about. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely think that's uh, probably true. But how do I fix that? <laughs> that's, how do I... How, how do I uh, yeah, that's, I think that's the problem. It's I, I I know that, but then... Well, I don't know it. I know it now that you've said
1: it, but... Um, mm. Okay, so let, well, let's talk about that because... I guess part of the point of the book, um, turn your inner darkness into words, is that we we use the problems we find in ourselves and the the screw ups and the flaws and the imperfections that we talk about them and we write about them and we have characters who have that and we are trying to deal with them, as we said, in order to grow and change. But um, coming back to the metaphor of the Plato's chariot, which I, I kind of touched on before, but essentially if people don't know, um, It's uh, Plato, who's this ancient Greek philosopher, had a metaphor of the chariot. So imagine the charioteer, ancient chariot with two horses, one dark, one light. And in order for the charioteer to race properly, to do the race of life, (laughs) the two horses need to run together. Uh, the white horse and the dark, and that dark one is obviously the shadow. And I talk about it with Joanna Penn and JF Penn, you know, JF Penn as being my fiction side and my darker side. And the side that uh, doesn't come out, well, comes out in the dark, Basically, but um, that I have struggled to talk about more, but you know, have tried over the years. You know, I like graveyards. I think about death all the time. I'm, I'm I'm really a goth, uh, although I don't look like one. Um, but in order to, when you said, how do we deal with it? We don't deal with it by getting rid of it. We deal with it by recognizing it and then kind of harnessing it. Into improving. So, but almost as soon as we recognize something, it does come out of the shadow and becomes something we is then in the light. So, even the things we can talk about like this have moved out of the shadow into a slightly grayer area, I suppose. And we can start to um, decide do we need to work on this, like the time blindness thing, or do we acknowledge it's there and then figure out how to move around it? So, the you don't need to do anything about the learner thing for the keynote. I guess what you need to do is figure out how to ignore that and go with the more emotional side so we we're trying to harness the 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 shadow I guess
0: mm. oh it's it's so fascinating and deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> to uh, do this work, which is why everybody needs to go um, and, and support the Kickstarter. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Should we maybe just touch on the Kickstarter then? Um, this is your second Kickstarter. So mm. I don't know whether or not you've got, because I know we've got some listeners who, a couple of listeners definitely who've done them, but some people who want to do them. So I don't mm. know whether or not you want to share some of the lessons or the key things that, that you've kind of... Um, improved on from your first to your second, or maybe kept the same.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I mean I was absolutely petrified as you know before the kickstarter for pilgrimage and I am happy to tell you that this time around it's a lot easier. It's a bit like self-publishing for the first time or podcasting for the first time. You can get better at it. So I mean I haven't started it as we record this so I don't know whether it will be successful but what I do know is that I know how to do one. <laughs> so I'm definitely feeling a lot more relaxed beforehand um and also I have a template so essentially i'm kind of copying my campaign and i'm doing um i know i need to do the ebook and the audiobook and the hardback and this special hardback has gold foil and a black ribbon and it's it's very lovely so i know all the things i need to do i know how to deliver the books i know how to do the um you know the audiobook and all those things and i know how to run a campaign and uh, so i feel like i wanted to encourage people <laughs> with Uh, that if you've done one, and I mean, you can just do a small one. People are doing these for short story anthologies or um, Sarah Rosette just did one for a book in a series, which was fantastic. Uh, So there's lots of ways you can do it. A bit like we say, when you first self-publish, just put something out, like self-publish a short story. You don't need to tell anyone, (laughs) but you need to sort of figure out how it works. And this is another ecosystem. So I definitely feel like I learned a lot with the pilgrimage Kickstarter and this time, I feel more in control, which, of course, is very important for us, <laughs> uh, and has a lot of shadow elements in itself. Um, but equally, I uh, I think so in terms of what I'm doing differently. Uh, I am planning to do live. Courses. So, I'm doing what I'm calling the shadow sessions, which are writing sessions when people can get on Zoom uh, in a small group and do writing around some of the questions. So, it's sort of some accountability. And I'm doing that live um, as opposed to pre recorded courses, which is what I offered last time. And I felt that I had a lot of work to do once the campaign ended. Whereas this time, I feel like I'll be able to deliver that more easily. so, yeah, I, but I wanted to encourage you because I know you're thinking about it and some people listening are thinking about it. And yes, the first one, you need to learn a few things, but it will get easier in the same way it gets easier to technically self-publish.
0: For me, there are like just really silly, minor things that I don't know the answer to. And so I can't even... I don't know. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Therefore I can't do it. It's probably that learner thing again. I don't know all of the things Mm. and therefore I can't like engage with it. Um, I think things like knowing how much I need to invest upfront. So what, for example, one of the things that I wanted to do a Kickstarter on was like not safe for work art, but but sapphic art, because we always Mm. see not safe for work art for straight couples, but there's so little out there Suffolk people and i wanted to do some around like the the books and some of the scenes in there and then i was like oh but do i have to commission it all before isn't the point of doing it the kickstarter and then yeah if you don't commission it then what do you have as like your images because i know having listened to your show uh that you have to have a very you know almost instagraphic type uh, uh page so your sales page on there so it's like
1: little things like that and then i'm like oh what about shipping and oh what about, you know, all of these things? Mm. That's why I keep avoiding it. Well, just on that. Okay. So again, this is, I. this is, we know about craft that you don't start your first book is not your epic Game of Thrones series, unless you plan never to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, George R R Martin has finished a lot of other series. Um, but I think when, what you're saying there in Not Safe for Work, Sapphic Art Project, that is not a first Kickstarter. That is... A developed Kickstarter because it would serve you in that situation to be part of a more visual art community. Because we're thinking about marketing, we're thinking about there is a huge visual art community on Kickstarter, obviously. And if your offering is primarily visual art, then that's a kind of different thing. So for you and other people, I would suggest look, don't pick the most complicated thing for your first Kickstarter in the same way don't pick the most complicated book for the first one you ever do Kickstarter a bit like any of these platforms like a podcast like uh, Amazon like you know our email list it starts with nothing so the people who are doing really well on Kickstarter they have Kickstarters like every year or even some people do it more regularly because you build up an audience over time so for you I would say you know maybe a standalone, not safe for work (laughs) (laughs) book. Um, And then you just do the same as you do usually, but you launch it on Kickstarter like I'm doing with writing the shadow. It's it's a windowing strategy. Uh, I've learned this is the term, which is the the first window is Kickstarter. You sell it there. And the second window for me is my Shopify store. So creativepenbooks.com and then the wide window, which is Amazon, Kobo, Audible, all the rest once I've taken those other windows. So Think about it more that way, and then you can start moving into the more ambitious projects. So uh, (laughs) it might be my next one, or it might be in the next couple of years, but I want to do a Gothic cathedral photo book, (laughs) which is... Which is kind of crazy and I'm going to write a Gothic cathedral crime series and I don't even know how it's going to work, but I want to do all kinds of merch around that. So similar to you, I'm thinking, okay, that is an entirely different kind of thing, but I'm part of the reason I did the pilgrimage Kickstarter was so I could do this shadow Kickstarter and I feel like every time I can move into different projects. So does that make sense? Like start with something less ambitious. I know you hate that, but... (laughs)
0: Yes. I mean, that's just my favorite thing to hit. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, So, so can you do a first in series or does it have to be a standalone?
1: You you can do whatever you like. The fact is, okay, people, people listening to this show right now, love you. Your patrons love you that maybe not love, let's say really appreciate you. (laughs) Some of them love you, Um, you know, appreciate you. People want to support you. So however you want to do it, just give it a go. And as you know, I did with the pilgrimage, I put, I think I put like five, a thousand pounds as my goal, or some people are doing fiction with like $500, like really low level of making it. And then you learn. And again, we're learners, we like to learn. So I feel like learning how to do Kickstarter, learning how to do Shopify, learning how to podcast, you know, learning how to write better craft. These are all things that we get better at. And so I think that would be the approach. Pick a pick a project, give it a go, see what happens and change it up next time as you become more confident. Cause it is a different thing. It is, yeah, it feels very different, but to me, I'm more excited about this than I have been about many things for a long time because it gives us the creative possibilities that we haven't had before. We can make beautiful products, we can do great merchandise. You know, we can do things without people telling us we can't, which is increasingly what's happening in the um, normal ecosystem. Let's say so. Yeah, I, I I think once you get into it, you'll you'll find it very freeing, um, but it is quite different
0: do you think we already need an established audience before we try to do a Kickstarter? Or do you think you can go in? in, in, The reason I'm asking is because obviously Ruby only has three books. So if I was going to do the first book in the next series, it's still, it's still, I mean, she's got a good audience, but it's not, you know, some epic, massive, huge, you know, I don't know, like does it work with smaller audiences or is it better to wait until you're more established?
1: Uh, well, I think aren't you in Ku for Ruby? Yes, yeah. So I would say your business model for Ruby at the moment is quite different. But what about Sasha Black? Has Sasha Black got anything else on the way? I, ha- I. It was funny
0: because I've just announced in my newsletter that I'm not doing a nonfiction this year. Um, whether or not but I you're, do doing one next year. you're doing courses, you're doing some courses. Yes, I am. I'm literally like building one now. Um, mm. You can launch a course in Kickstarter. You can do what? whatever
1: you like. <laughs> I mean, I love hearing that, but also <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Um, but of okay. course, you need different layers of things. So the reason, yeah. you're part of the reason for doing a book, so this writing the shadow, uh, there'll be the usual things. So there'll be the ebook, audio book, a standard paperback, these special hardback with foil and all that assigned edition and a large print. And then there'll be some bundles and then there'll be consulting and then there'll be um, the online writing sessions. So you need to have different le- levels. Um, but what you offer is can be what, whatever you like, really. I think it's, I mean, I guess it's more usual for books because we're in a book industry. Um, or try with Ruby. I don't know. I think the point is that we're in a wonderful time with Kickstarter for books, where there don't seem to be so many rules. You, you know, well, when I started out as an indie, there were no rules. I mean, I there there were no podcasts, there were no books on there, there were there were no conferences. It was all, oh look, that person just did that, and look at what's happening. That's amazing. <laughs> and and over the years, and of course, there's all these rules in traditional publishing, and now it feels like there's loads of rules as part of being an indie author. And I think this is what I've been raging against in some way. It's like, I'm sorry, when did it happen that there are all these rules in what is supposedly an independent community? (laughs) And what I think I really like about Kickstarter and also Shopify is that we're back to being independent. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Some people do, like obviously Russell Nolte and Monica Leonel doing a great job with what they're doing. And people are starting to say, oh, well, if you do this, this is a best practice. But in reality, I buy off Kickstarter all the time. Mm. And i just buy random stuff that is really cool and their their algorithm kind of rewards quirky and rewards weird it doesn't It's not so much about writing to market or um, having a cover that resonates with the genre. (laughs) I mean, there's there's a whole lot of weird, basically. And that's what I really like about it. And I've been buying quite a lot of strange things that I never would have found in any other way. And that's what I mean about being creatively freeing. Um, And why I think this writing the shadow has helped me a lot because I'm just like, ah, all my weird stuff, all my weird ideas that I have not really found an audience for, maybe this is the way forward. And we shall see. Like pilgrimage really surprised me by how successful it was. Um, But it turns out there are lots of people like me who are not religious, but like to walk pilgrimage. (laughs) So this is what's so crazy. So I hope that encourages people Um, Don't get so hung up on the technicality, but think more about that creative freedom idea and what you want to spend your time creating. Because, you know, life is short and we want to create remarkable things that people comment on and that people love and that they, they keep. So, yeah. Does that give you some thoughts? Yeah it does. I the funny thing is is that
0: I uh, there definitely is some kind of like control slash freedom that either was or is still in in my shadow because where even when you were talking earlier and about the first books um so I know that you haven't explored the enneagram too much but I'm an 8 on the enneagram uh and our like deepest fear is being controlled and my whole first series was <laughs> was about control and fate and who had control of your fate. So I think it's like hilarious that I, you know, the the brand that has built around me is Rebellion, which is the Rebellion from being controlled, which Mm. is going to be more on brand for an eight on the Enneagram. But that said it is like a conscious act for me. A lot of the time I have to consciously remind myself that there's nobody controlling me anymore. Like I can choose to do this or I can choose to do that. That's why I've created this career. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's uh, amazing and exactly what Indies need to have mm. uh, in terms of Kickstarters and all of these different tools to enable us to make those choices that are free, because these are the things that help us create joy in our life. And, mm. um, so yeah, I love this. I had like about 75 other questions to ask you, but <laughs> we are running out of time. So, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel.
1: Well, you know I struggled with this last time <laughs> because I I definitely find rebel to be like a trigger because I'm not a rebel. Like I honestly feel I'm not a rebel. I am a good girl. I don't break the rules, which is really funny because then I reflect on that and I look at my life choices and realize that I do break quite a lot of Mm -hmm. unspoken rules. um, And I do have resistance to establishment and all of this kind of thing. But I guess that's why I frame it more as independent. But I think, you know, in terms of being rebellious at the moment, I feel like choosing to focus on selling direct over everything else is rebellious against the current indie author mainstream. Uh, I also feel that choosing to be pro AI in the current environment is pretty rebellious because I get a lot of hate about that. It's very triggering to people. (laughs) I think um, choosing to be happily child-free is pretty rebellious. I've had a lot of stuff about that. And also um, even just choosing to go independent back in 2008 when it was not popular. So when I look at some of these big life choices, I feel like, mm, maybe I am a bit of a <laughs> rebel. <laughs> okay, so, what? <Are> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> oh my
0: God, I think you're a total rebel. Uh and I think look how much joy it's brought you and how happy you are and where you are. So I think, yeah, mm. of course. Like I actually think that is the root of all rebellion is joy. Like we are seeking joy. We are mm. we, there is something wrong and we are we are trying to break away from the thing that's either hurting us, causing us pain or or not creating the joy around us. And that is why we rebel. So I have like really positive like connotations around the word rebellion now, but it's kind of been an insight that I've gathered over listening to rebels, like rebel stories for so long. But anyway, tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your services, your Kickstarter, anything else that you would like to add.
1: Mm. So Writing the Shadow, Turn Your Inner Darkness into Words is uh, available at thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book. And that will redirect, that will go to the Kickstarter between the 9th and the 25th of October, 2023, then to wherever else you can get it. Um, it will be available on creativepenbooks.com uh, after that, and then everywhere in early 2024. So it will eventually be everywhere. But if you want that special edition and all the extra bits and bobs, then um, check out the Kickstarter, the creativepen.com forward slash shadow book. And I guess the other places as this is a podcast, come on over to The Creative 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 pen podcast, pen with a double N and um, yeah, see you there.
0: Amazing. And this episode will go out whilst the Kickstarter is live. So if you are listening live in real time, uh, please do go and check it out. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black, you are listening to Joanna Penn, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Paulette Stout all about writing controversy. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.